This is Dialogue with Drake Debu. My name is Emma Drake. And I am Sweta Debu. This is the podcast where we talk about all things policy, politics, and pop culture. Now, this is going to be our last episode for the season. No, we're not done yet. You're going to have to stick it out with us. We're just wrapping up for the holidays. Now, today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We're looking at four different segments. Now, our first one is hashtag PEI Poly Roundup. Then we're going to go right into gifts panel for last minute shopping. I know I'm definitely one of those people. Mom, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. A list of places to donate this winter, which is extremely important during the holiday season and every season. And then finally, things to do on the infamous sandbar these next couple of weeks. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into these segments with a very special guest for today. First off, we have Emma Drake. She's a grad student, fashionista, gin and tonic connoisseur, and a card-carrying member of the Beyonce fan club. Now, our second special guest, and I would say the most special guest, is uh, Sweta Debu, who is a craft beer aficionado, loves warm weather, bad jokes, and even worse movies. And folks, I will share with you today, Sweta Debu once recommended to me Birds of Prey, which is still on the list of worst films I've ever seen, but I'd still go see it again because Sweta recommended it to me. So there you go, folks. Those are our special guests for today. And if anyone would like any recommendations of movies that you watch because they're bad and you enjoy them because they're bad, then hit me up and I'm sure I can come up with a list for you. Um, So without uh, waiting any longer, we're going to jump into the first part of our episode, which is the hashtag PI Poly Roundup. Now, uh, this last fall, fall sitting, we didn't have the opportunity to do a wrap up. So we're just going to go into some of the broad strokes of how this fall sitting went through. Now, an alternative title for this section was Bills, 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 uh, which was homage to Desi's child, but we didn't want to focus uniquely on Bills because, of course, there are many other things that happen in the legislature besides that. But the first one we're going to look at right now is the non-disclosure agreements, or NDAs, as they're commonly referred to as. Now, a lot of listeners are aware of this because of our last episode, which um, was with uh, Carrie Campbell, who looked at non-disclosure agreements in a more practical sense sense. We mentioned how the legislation has changed. So what happened this fall was that uh, MLA Lynn Lund put forward legislation that would limit the use of non-disclosure agreements in cases of sexual misconduct. Now, according to the bill, uh, these would come into play, quote, if such an agreement is expressed wish and preference. So uh, this piece of legislation passed unanimously, making PEI actually the first provincial jurisdiction to do so uh, in Canada. So this was a really interesting piece of legislation. Again, um, unique in terms of what are folks doing across Canada, but, um, you know, as everything in Canada, and I think within our kind of federalist structure, it's a bit of a domino effect. So in terms of my take here, a really strong piece of legislation, excited to see a bit more support, particularly for survivors in that context. And then as well, hopefully going to see a bit of a domino effect across Canada, which historically we do. So that's that. Awesome. And the second bill we're going to be talking about is around pay transparency. Uh, This was uh, 
introduced by MLA Trish Altas, and it requires employers to provide salary information and job postings up front. Now, we know that to this day, uh, women are still typically paid uh, less than men, uh, and we know that these differences tend to really compound on each other when we're looking at different intersecting identities, uh, such as BIPOC communities, the LGBTQ plus community, and more. Uh, so this is a really, really interesting bill that hopefully will make things a little bit more equitable in PEI, and especially as we're right now on the outset of the International Week Against Gender-Based Violence, um, and we know that paying folks differently is a form of gender-based violence. This is an especially relevant piece of legislation. Um, if you'd like to learn more about this bill or about the development of it, then uh, not to plug in this cool little podcast, but I really recommend you watch Dialogue, episode 36, lead up to the legislation later with Emily Trish Altas while she goes a little bit into the background of it. Yes, definitely a great episode. A great podcast, too, I heard. I don't know. It's just what people are saying these days. No, so the next piece that we're going to be looking at in the hashtag PEI poly roundup is the two-year moratorium on rent evictions, which was uh, put forward by MLA Hannah Bell. Now, what is this? Many folks are probably seeing the term rent evictions, uh, be it online, be it in media, be it listening in interviews and things like this. So essentially, it's when folks are evicted from the unit in which they're renting because the landlord wants to update uh, the unit that they're in. Um, now, what's challenging with this is that it's been particularly abused within jurisdictions that are wanting to be used for Airbnbs. And so we've saw different articles uh, from both CBCPI and The Guardian and a number of other examples where um, landlords have definitely taken advantage of this particular legislative oversight in order to kick people out to update the units, quote unquote, and then to be able to have those kind of uh, more lucrative economic opportunities for folks because they can then rent them out as Airbnbs um, or just short-term rentals in in general. Um, And because there aren't regulations in place, this is also feeding into an encouragement uh, of this particular behavior. But I'm really excited to see that this will be stopped now because of this effort uh, put forward by Hannah Bell. And if folks are wanting to learn a little bit more about either short-term rentals or what housing is like on PEI right now, because oftentimes, I know at least in my experience here in Ontario, PEI isn't seen as a place that has issues with housing, but we know, of course, for folks, it absolutely is. So check out Dialogue episode number 21, which was our short-term rental panel with Jonathan Greenan, Robin Graham, and Nate Hood. Great episode and, and a lot of expertise there. And then check out as well Dialogue episode number 39, which is on the state of housing. Um, and that is with uh, Connor from PEI Fight for Affordable Housing and the Cooper Institute. Moving on to the next uh, non-bill component of this segment, we're going to be talking about the capital budget. Of course, we can't talk about the fall sitting of the legislature without mentioning the budget. Uh, so this budget uh, has a total planned expenditures of $840 million over the next five years. It passed with a vote of 15 to 8 in the House. Um, It includes a number of really interesting components, such as investments into infrastructure and schools, as well as having five medical homes operational by March 2022. So that's just a few months from now. Um, If you'd like to learn more about the development of uh, the capital budget, then I'm going to plug in dialogue again. That's episode 38 with Minister Compton. 
Um, some other really uh, interesting bills have been brought forward by government this sitting, including uh, updates to the Land Protections Act as recommended by committee, the making of National Day of Truth and Reconciliation a statutory holiday, which we go more detail about um, on episode 42 on Dialogue, which is about truth and reconciliation with Janine Woldridge and Julie Policia-Lush from UNUE. Uh, the extension of bereavement leave uh, to folks having suffered uh, pregnancy loss um, and more. Up next in PEI Poly, we're going to be talking about the possible creation of an independent racism commissioner on the island. Just to give folks a bit of background, uh, over the last year, we've seen quite a bit of issues of racism on PEI, especially as it pertains to sports and especially uh, in those aged under 18. In June and July of this year, there were two instances of racial slurs being reported at soccer games for the under 18s. And both times these weren't able to be substantiated by the Prince Edward Island Soccer Association. Um, and then earlier this month, of course, we heard about racial slur being uh, said to a black U18 hockey player from Halifax during a game on PEI. Um, and he also reported racist comments made by PEI players now, this is being currently investigated by an independent third-party investigator by Hockey PEI, but as a result of this, MLA Gord McNeely wrote a letter to the Premier uh, requesting him to look into creating the position of a provincial commissioner specifically to look at racial abuse on PEI. And another shameless plug here is a throwback to our episode with Dante Bizard, who is the anti-racism policy advisor with the government of Prince Edward Island. We chatted with him during episode 40, which was on racism on PEI. Uh, it's a spectacular episode. Uh, Dante is always just a treat to be able to chat with and I think even uh, more interesting to be able to listen and learn from. So definitely take a listen to that and, and, and keep it in mind moving forward as we see more efforts, uh, I think, to change, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the challenges that PEI has uh, with racism moving forward. And next in PEI Poly, uh, the Committee on Health and Social Development of the province has had a very busy week uh, this week with two presentations. The first one was from witnesses uh, talking about drink tampering on PEI, and the second one was by the Charlottetown police. Now, as folks will remember, on episode 43, Kate McKenna joined us to talk about her article, which was entitled, Rash of Drink Spiking Incidents Goes Unchecked by Police in Charlottetown. Um, so as a result of this article, Rachel Crowder, who's the executive director of the PEI Rape and Sexual Assault Center, Jane Ledwell, who's the executive director of the Advisory Council on the Status of Women, Kinley Dowling, who had collected the names and testimonies of 17 women and presented them to Charlottetown Police in the spring of this year, as well as Alyssa Cullen, a counselor with the PEI Rape and Sexual Assault Center, spoke about their experiences working with victims of drink spiking and sexual assault. Uh, now, this recording might be triggering to folks, but it's available online if you would like to listen to it. Um, it's honestly an excellent presentation where they were able to really talk about um, how it works once someone reports uh, such a case, as well as the different kinds of support that are needed. So definitely would recommend checking out uh, the committee presentation on that day. And this was followed up by another spectacular article from none other than Kate McKenna, 
on December 10th, which was titled, I Felt Very Worthless. Three PEI women share their experiences dealing with police after alleged druggings. Now, not only was this a story on Prince Edward Island, but this was also featured on the national, uh, so making national news, unfortunately, for PEI. This shared the stories of Maddie Duffy, Rebecca Shepard, and Shauna Perry, who came forward to talk about their negative experiences with Charlottetown police after reporting being drugged. Now, in one specific example uh, outlined in this piece from Kate, uh, it describes Shauna Perry's example when, after uh, medical examination, which found evidence of drugs, DNA, blood, and bruises, uh, this was taken to the police. However, they were unable to link the drugs and sex or the link to the man who had done the drugging. And she was quoted as saying, this broke me for a very long time. My whole life kind of changed. And she said she felt very worthless. I felt very expendable and I didn't matter to anybody. And this is just one example of many of the challenges that exist in drugging on PEI, uh, but as well the failures from the Charlottetown police in adequately addressing this. So definitely take a look at that article and, and keep an eye moving forward on that particular issue. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, on that very same day, which was December 10th, Charlottetown Police Services presented to the Committee on Health and Social Development. The presenters uh, responded to some questions that were raised by the committee. Uh, one of them was with regards to whether or not an investigation was opened earlier this year uh, when Kinley Dowling had brought forward 17 testimonies uh, to the police. Uh, the presenters explained that while they did not open an investigation at that point in time, if any of the individual survivors quoted in the binder wanted to come forward and, and open an investigation, um, they explained that process to them. Now, Deputy Chief McCarran furthermore stated that uh, someone could not consent to sex if they had been administered drugs uh, such as roofies, but then followed up that statement with saying that in court, uh, such situations often escalate into he said, she said situations, um, and that it becomes very difficult to prove that non-consensual sex or rape happened. Uh, Charlottetown police, however, furthermore followed up their statements uh, with stating that they would be sharing sex assault files with the PI Rape and sex Sexual Assault Center uh, going forward. The committee, however, also indicated that if necessary, the chief of Charlottetown police would be called upon to present to the committee as well. Um, this was because a number of the questions were, uh, weren't answered by the presenters um, and they indicated that the information would be with the Charlottetown police chief. Um, so we're hoping for some follow-up on that as well. Yeah, and, and I think on this particular topic before we close things off, um, it's honestly, it's so heartbreaking to see this continue to happen. Um, there's been failures from, I think, Charlottetown police, as well as, I think, just the general public to believe survivors of this thing. And we chatted about this in, in episode uh, with Kate that, like, everyone knew it was happening. It was common knowledge. It, it was just known in whispers and just brushed off as, well, watch your drink or be careful and this sort of thing. Even, I think, in cases where there, there is evidence and medical examination and, you know, uh, testimonies and presentation to committee, people are still challenging, well, it's a he said, she said situation. No, end of story, it's not. I don't think people are going to be satisfied with whatever information they're going to get. 
I think for myself, I'm really looking forward to the continued pressure um, on both, I think, the Charlottetown police as well as elected officials to look at how can this actually change structurally moving forward? Because unfortunately, the 17 folks who came forward are not the only 17 folks, and we failed all of them. And and the, I think broader PEI community, uh, and it's it's really I think heartbreaking to continue to hear people questioned on their validity of what they're saying um, when this is so obviously um, you know just a terrible terrible situation. But th- I think those are my thoughts on it. Is I'm I'm looking forward to to moving forward and really looking at what are some future changes to ensure that this doesn't happen in the future. What are your thoughts? I think something that really stood out to me throughout both presentations this week, but also, you know, in all of the months leading up to this has been just how the system is not set up to uh, help survivors or to support survivors once they come forward with such cases. Um, There is a lack of information being transmitted, you know, for instance, from hospitals, if they have cases uh, with positive uh, coming back positive for drugs uh, to the police, there are there's quite a bit of disconnect between each system, and that can be an incredibly re-traumatizing process for the survivors. So, I think you're absolutely right in saying that these victims have been failed, and so many more um, have been failed, and steps need to be taken to make sure that things are better from now on. And that goes back to our episode with Carrie as well, right? Like. People come forward because there is a process in place and they feel as though they could trust that process and they want to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else in the future, right? Like, that is a very, you know, selfless and genuine thing to do. And then to think you turn around in that process not only doesn't address the issue that you're experiencing and force you to continue to have to tell your story and justify it and experience that trauma again. But also, there's no ability for it to to support people moving forward in the future. It's like it's forgotten about. It's like there's no precedence. It's like there's no learning that takes place from these failures that survivors have to continue to go through. And I, I think that's that's the remarkable part is we're talking about stuff from over a decade ago that still can't be addressed and it's continuing to happen today and and it will in the future if things don't change. So um, yeah, I think it's just a a really frustrating time. uh, On And it's, what's also really sad about this is during um, the Charlottetown Police's presentation, they kept repeating over and over again about, you know, how much things are better now as opposed to say the late 1990s. Um, And it's just, things are so incredibly bad now that my heart goes out to all of the women who had to deal with the system for the last 30 years, because this is so unacceptable and it's so terrifying to think of as well. Absolutely. And and I think, uh, as we've said before, there's no way we know what people are going through. And uh, there's so many people in our lives that are survivors and uh, some who have come forward and some who haven't. And, and all of those experiences and stories need to be respected. Uh, but there also needs to be justice uh, moving forward. So uh, looking forward to what that looks like. And I think it needs to be informed by by wonderful folks, um, you know, such as Kinley, such as 
you know, uh, Shauna and others who are coming forward with these stories to to inform what that looks like from a survivor-centric approach, um, top-down from the legislation, for sure. And, you know, just to kind of put a pin in this, if folks are looking for a briefer on sexual violence on PEI, uh, Rachel Crowder was our guest on episode 24, which was looking at specifically that, so sexual violence in PEI. Well, moving on to the next big news story of the last week or so, um, things have been eventful at the University of Prince Edward Island. Um, Of course, uh, just to give folks a bit of an idea of what happened, we'll be going kind of timeline-wise, going from events um, earlier on up to what happened these last few days. So we get started back in 2013 when CBC first reported that UPI had reached settlements with two employees who had filed complaints of sexual harassment with the PEI Human Rights Commission involving allegations against then-President Al Abdelaziz. At the time, the UPI Board of Governors Chair Tom Cullen said that the allegations involved inappropriate comments, but no more details ever came public. CBC confirmed that there were NDAs or non-disclosure agreements used in these cases. Then fast forward to 2015 and the president is up for renewal. But at the time, there are a variety of different community members who were not comfortable with this, given that there were complaints with the PEI Human Rights Commission. One specific example of this was the PEI Advisory Council on the Status of Women, who stated, quote, a person in a position of power should be held to a high standard of behavior. Following 2015, uh, President Ala Abdelaziz's contract was renewed twice once in 2018 and the other time just a few weeks ago in 2021. Now we get into the more recent specifics of this, and we'll start actually with last Sunday, where on episode 44, Carrie Campbell touched on the use of NDAs in his article titled Culture of Silence of Fear on UPEI Campus, Former Prof Says. So that was on Sunday. On Monday, it was identified that in an email, board chair of UPEI Pat Sinnott stated that to the UPEI community that the board had learned about allegations of workplace misconduct and brought them to the attention of President Ala Abdelaziz. Then the next day, on Tuesday, the president retired after 10 years, citing health reasons. On Wednesday, the Board of Governors stated to CBC that process has started under the university's fair treatment policy and that a third-party investigation will be launched against around the workplace misconduct allegations. He further stated that upon completion of that review, the board will respond in a manner consistent with expectations of privacy and transparency. However, journalists have not yet been able to get in touch directly with anyone from UPEI to talk about this process. On Thursday, in an article released to CBC, UPI professor Colleen McQuarrie stated, um, with regards to the fair treatment policy, that a lack of disclosure and accountability allows serial workplace bullies to continue that behavior with other victims, while the university ignores issues of chronic, institutionalized bullying that have forced some employees to leave. Then on Friday, there were a variety of UPEI unions that called for transparency, specifically asking for the Board of Governors to cease the use of non-disclosure agreements. Now, uh, to give folks a bit bit of a disclaimer here, um, Emma and I, of course, are recent grads from UPEI, and we've worked at the UPEI Student Union uh, for a number of years. 
um, and we've been very, very involved in campus and work closely with university administration. And and I think in, in full disclosure too, um, you know, as both, I think, young professionals that were involved in the UPEI campus, both Sweta and I worked very closely um, with a number of, of senior admin and leaders on campus, including President Alla. Um, and I think it's a time for processing because it's it's a massive change on campus and, and I think is, is one to be um, take a time to, to be dealt with. But I think regardless of that, and I think one thing that remains true, and this is reiterated in our episode with Carrie, is that uh, for folks who came forward and, and with their non-disclosure agreements, those stories need to be supported. Those stories need to be believed. And not just those, but anyone who also comes forward in the future. And um, I think support and respect for those folks. So that's kind of where we're at right now with this one. It's it's a tough one because UPEI, unlike many other universities, is the only university on Prince Edward Island and plays such a big role in our campus community. And a major shift like this doesn't just impact the campus, it impacts the province as a whole. And so I think uh, it's safe to say that uh, we're, we're both, I think, dealing with that and, and also looking at how can we be a supportive ally in that process. Yeah, I, I agree with, uh, with everything you just said. Um, and Definitely, I think whatever happens going forward needs to be focused on better supporting survivors. I think that's really the first priority we should be looking towards. And um, hopefully with the new NDA legislation, uh, we don't find ourselves in a situation such as this one just repeating itself. 100%. And I think, too, I think it's safe to say, like, between the new NDA legislation and as well um, the particular case of UPEI, I think we're going to start to see a bit of a shift, be it legislatively, be it individual institution, organization, or businesses policies when it comes to the use of NDAs. And I think we're really kind of at the tip of the iceberg right now. And thankfully, there'll be shifts moving forward away from that. So we'll see what happens. Now we're going to shift to a bit of a lighter note, which is potatoes on Parliament Hill, folks. This is not uh, probably newsworthy for for most who are listening right now because it has taken up a lot of the scene, but let's just do a bit of a rundown when it comes to potatoes on Parliament Hill. So for listeners, and I know this was actually new for me too, actually looking at the numbers, the PEI potato industry circulates $1.3 billion in PEI, which actually equals 5,000 direct jobs. And in Canada, PEI creates a quarter of all potatoes grown. Now, many folks have heard about this because of the recent news stories regarding the United States and PEI not being able to trade our potatoes over to the United States. But why is the U.S. so important? It's because they actually consume 40% of all of the potatoes grown in the province. So they are the, the biggest buyer and play a substantial role in that. So what actually happened in this case was the Canadian Food Inspection Agency banned exports of PEI potatoes due to warts found on potatoes that were in two specific island fields. Now, you might be wondering, what the heck does that mean? I don't come from a science background. Listen, neither do I. I was trying to figure this out too. I was like, what the heck does this mean? Now, the fungus, which can be spread through infected seed potatoes and contaminated soil, 
possesses no threat to human health or food safety, but it does disfigure potatoes and makes them uh, unmarketable. Now, in comes Bud the Spud from the bright red mud. On Wednesday, December 8th, the Premier, Minister of Agriculture, Boyce Thompson, and other PEI senior officials arrived to Ottawa accompanied with a transfer truck of 6,000 free bags of PEI potatoes. Now, they were handing them out literally to anyone who was on the parliamentary precinct uh, and to also, as well, local food banks and shelters. Now, the purpose of this effort was to be able to lobby uh, federal officials, including the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, Minister of Ch- Trade Mary Ng, and as well the Minister of Agriculture Marie-Claude Bibot. This is a bit of an interesting story because as dialogue listeners know, uh, Sweda is still based in PEI and I am currently based in Ottawa for the next couple of days, mind you I'll be home, but this story broke when I was at home here in Ottawa and let me tell you, it was shocking. I was sitting at home studying with my good friend Rob and we were getting texts from other classmates in our program about this potato on Parliament Hill and they were so confused. Why is there someone dressed up as a potato on Parliament Hill? And so Rob shows me the photo and I was like, that's Bud the friggin' Spud. And he's like, who's that? I'm like, who is that? Who is that? And so, of course, I had to show him the song, obviously, from Stompin' Tom Connors. And he said, who is that? I was like, we can't even get into this conversation right now. Only probably one of the best PEI musicians of all time. Shane Pendergast is up there, though, for the record. But I said, this is so important because the current trade dispute that is happening right now between Canada and the United States, but specifically impacting PEI, because 40% of PEI potatoes go specifically to the United States. Now, after first, I didn't believe this. Then I got a call from one of my best friends, Will, and he's like, Emma, you're never going to believe it. A transfer truck is rolling up to Parliament Hill with potatoes from PEI. And I said, there's no friggin' way. Wellington Street is a narrow lane, folks. I know for folks who have visited, they know this. And if you haven't, like, this is typically where buses go. I was like, there's no way they're pulling up to Parliament. There's way too much security. It's too narrow. There's too many cars, this sort of thing. No, sure as heck, a couple minutes later after I get this call from Will, I see a photo online for PEI Potatoes. They are parked in front of Parliament. (laughs) I've never laughed so much in my life because you know what? PEI showed the frig up to Parliament Hill and, and was advocating on behalf of potatoes. And let me tell you folks, as someone who works in the lobbying realm, that was quite the image to be able to see. And um, as of right now, there have been no changes on this. However, uh, as I mentioned before, the lobbying efforts with the Prime Minister as well as Minister of Trade and Minister of Ag uh, did take place and they're looking at how to move forward in order to support island farmers. Uh, There is, I think, no other way to describe PEI than uh, potatoes on Parliament Hill. And I was pretty proud that day uh, being in Ottawa from PEI because I thought it was uh, pretty exemplary of, of uh, interesting, different, and strategic advocacy efforts. Wow, thank you for that uh, quick briefer as well as the story, Emma. Uh, I had no idea what story you were going to tell today. It's just noted here as Emma's story, so I didn't know what it was, but <laughs> I think it was really uh, worth the wait. Um, but this is But listen, I get this call from Will, and he's like, 
the potatoes are rolling up. And I said, they're not. They're not. There's no way based on the reasons we said before. And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to go anyways. And unfortunately, I couldn't go because I did have school to do. Uh, listen, folks, don't sign up for school if you want to be able to support uh, short-term immediate things like this. No, do sign up for school. It's a good thing. But honestly, I've, I have never been so shocked in my life. We had MP Sean Casey. We had Senator Brian Francis. We had uh, leader of the NDP Jagmeet Singh show up. Everyone was there. Everyone and their dog from Ottawa was there. And mind you, they were in a very strategic position. You can't get any closer than that. But it, it, it was it was PEI Ottawa style in fashion. And honestly, it, it is, I think, probably one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time. And you know what? As much as it's funny, I hope it does get resolved. Because, again, it's a huge pillar in the PEI economy. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. So... Anyways, that's that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think leading up to it, when I first learned about, you know, what the plan was, um, my first thought was, I, I don't know how successful this is going to be. I know it's certainly going to grab attention, but I think we can't start counting down the minutes to when Will takes a picture with it and posts it on social media. Well, exactly, exactly. I thought it was a, a, a perfect photo opportunity. And like anything with advocacy, first and foremost, picks or it didn't happen. But also, I think you got to be a little bit creative. Um, you know, I, I think you have to pair a little bit of the political theater with the policy asks. And hopefully for the provincial government of PEI, they came in with that. And, and you know what? As much as it maybe seems a little bit foolish, I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of a, 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 a visual like that. Um, you know, obviously there, there are many pressing issues that exist on PEI and in Ottawa. And I think like it's important to note that like, you know, there's an endless amount of needs and there's an endless amount of issues, but there's a limited amount of time and therefore a limited amount of things that can get onto the policy agenda. But I think in terms of looking at it in isolation, I think it's hilarious. And, and, and I think there's no other way PEI would do policy or advocacy. And, uh, you know, we'll see if it's effective, but I thought it was a unique approach and, and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I think also it speaks to the importance of the potato industry, uh, you know, for PEI in looking that the premier made that trip himself to, uh, you know, talk about the issues. So hopefully this pays off. This is the end of our hashtag PEI poly roundup. We're going to move on now to part two, which uh, instead of a beer panel today, we're going to have a gifts panel and we're going to be making some recommendations as to some uh folks you can buy stuff from uh, this holiday season. Just as a disclaimer, a lot of them have been dialogue guests, but they also work on really cool stuff outside of it. So we thought we'd plug them in. Yeah, the first one we're going to jump into is from uh, Janine Woldridge, who we chatted with a couple weeks ago uh, with El Noue, as well as uh, Julie Pelcher Lush. Now, specifically, what we're recommending today is the Living Full Circle Planner, which is $29.95, and you can find that on janinewoldridge.ca. Now, what it is, is it's a life planner, but it takes a little bit of a different approach. It looks at 52 weeks of guided reflection 
action and provides a foundation for your ideal life. Now it's a bit more of a creative approach. It allows you really to guide kind of what that planning looks like and really focuses on what is reflection like for you, what is self-awareness, and what is productivity, uh, and looks at also goal setting, habits, and and intentional living. So I think that's a really interesting gift. Um, Janine's phenomenal, and, and, and folks have listened to her on this podcast, and as well, all of her work with Elne Way before, but I think really in terms of being in the middle of COVID and really kind of being bon vivants and and valuing life and being intentional with it, I think this is a really good reflection of, okay, what does that actually look like pen to paper and not taking life for granted and and really kind of, uh, yeah, being intentional with that. So definitely recommend that. I know, Sweaty, you already have a copy. I need to pick up a copy. Uh, But yeah, definitely recommend that to folks. Uh, Really interesting, but also a beautiful present. And our second recommendation is also from a guest uh, from our episode on truth and reconciliation. Um, and it's Epic Wit Mi'kmaq Poetry from Prince Edward Island by Julie Felicia Lush. Now, just as a fun fact, uh, our dialogue episode was released on a Monday and uh, the book was uh, launched on a Wednesday. So it was during that same week. Uh, and um, this is available right now at Bookmark or at Indigo. Um, and it is a, col- a collection of poetry works by Julie Felicia Lush, who as folks know is a poet laureate. So um, they're really beautiful moving pieces and I would really recommend anyone buy them or read them. Now the next one is I think the third time or fourth time we've recommended this book, uh, but it's it's so important. So no choice. Uh, the 30-year fight for abortion on Prince Edward Island by Kate McKenna is a phenomenal book. It looks at that 30-year history of abortion, um, but also kind of beyond that from 1969 when it was legalized under Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, um, but also what did the influence of groups such as the Catholic Church look like on particular policies in Prince Edward Island? And how did that change over time? And because of PEI's intimate political and policy relationship with the community, how did that become so unique comparison to everywhere else in Canada? And I think it's a staple, whether you're in PEI or in the rest of Canada, to really understand how community, politics, policy, lobby groups, and and really kind of everything like that intersect on one particular policy area, um, and specifically abortion, uh, which is so important. Um, it's it's a great book, and um, I think is is required reading for everyone uh, in Canada, uh, regardless of of everything. So that's found at FernwoodPublishing.ca. You could purchase it for eighteen dollars Canadian, but you can also purchase it at book. Uh, the bookmark in Charlottetown as well, if you want to go in person and support them. Uh, But again, phenomenal book, need to check it out. Our next recommendation is an artist who we recommend every single episode, um, and it's Shane Pendergast. His CD, uh, Second Wind, is on sale on his website, shanependergast.com. Shane also has a show coming up on the 17th at Tracadie Cross from 8 to 10 p.m. The tickets are on sale for $15 at Eventbrite. 
Another thing that we're going to be looking to recommend again, this isn't our first time, is the Black Business Directory for the PEI uh, Black Cultural Society. And that's specifically looking at highlighting Black business owners and entrepreneurs here in Prince Edward Island. They've got a great list, so no matter what you're looking at and what you're looking for this holiday season, and not just in the holidays, but I think just in general, you can find it on that. So it's at bcspei.ca slash black business directory. And they say, so let's be intentional. Let's invest in our community, which I really like. And then the last thing that we're going to look at recommending is Little Black Dress in Summerside, Prince Edward Island. This is a used clothing store run by none other than Shauna Perry, which is one of my favorite stores in PEI. Um, my mom and I went to a fashion show at Little Black Dress back, I think it was in the spring, and it was specifically celebrating uh, the LGBTQ plus community um, and uh, highlighting just how fashion can be used both in a sustainable sense because it is thrifted, but also in the sense that Everyone can wear everything and celebrate the LGBTQ plus community, uh, specifically in, in Summerside. And uh, Sean is amazing. It's a great shop and, and is definitely one that uh, if you're looking for a special gift, uh, definitely check it out. Awesome. And after that, we're going to move on to part three of our episode, uh, which is about making someone's winter uh, by making a donation. Uh, the first uh, organization that we'd like to recommend uh, is Blooming House. Blooming House is a woman's shelter whose primary goal is to provide safe overnight shelter for women in the Charlottetown area. They serve as a low barrier, harm reduction, safe space. Uh, you can donate to them at bloominghouse.ca um, and they have a link on their website where they have several options for things you can donate to. Uh, you can donate uh, $10 for a coffee gift card or bus tickets uh, for streaming services if anyone would like that. Uh, you can donate $25 to offer laundry services for guests or, or holiday celebration meals. So there's really quite some options and the money is put to really good use. Uh, Blooming House is open from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. Uh, to support women. The next group we're going to be recommending that folks take a look at to support this holiday season is Anderson House. Now, for listeners who aren't familiar with Anderson House, it is a provincial emergency shelter for women, trans, and non-binary individuals and their children who are in need of safety because of violence in their lives. Now, this service is located in Charlottetown, and if folks are looking to support them, you could go to their website at www.fvps.ca slash donations needed, and you could support them there. Our third recommendation is the Chief Mary Bernard uh, Memorial Women's Shelter. Now, this is a, a women's shelter for women in distress or who are homeless. Uh, shelter residents have access to employment services, parenting and life skills programs, and services of the Lenox Island Health Center. Um, donations uh, can be accepted in person. Um, uh, or you can reach them by phone at 902-831-2332 uh, to set up a donation time. The next service that we're going to be recommending is a bit of a new one. It was launched in August of 2021, 
And that is the community fridge, which is a safe and nutritious food supply for the community. It is 24-7 anonymous and accessible outdoor space. Now, one specific thing that they're doing this holiday season is their year-end celebration fundraiser, which is happening December 29th at the Eastlink Center. All of the proceeds for this event will be going back to stocking and maintaining the space, along with organizing the free monthly meals event. Now, if folks are looking to learn more about that or just generally support the Community Fridge, check out their page on Facebook, which is PEI Community Fridge. Awesome. Our next recommendation is the Upper Room Ministry. So this is a nonprofit food bank and food donation, uh, sorry, and soup kitchen. Um, they're located in Charlottetown and they look uh, to meeting the needs of some of the local families and individuals. If you'd like to learn more about the Upper Room, you can go to urhm.org slash donate slash. The next one is Gifts from the Heart which is a nonprofit organization that specifically helps low-income islanders. Now, they provide food, furniture, clothing, and more. If you folks are looking at supporting this particular group, you could go to giftsfromtheheartinc.com for cash donations or call 902-628-6281 for both donations and volunteering. Our next recommendation is the Mi'kmaq Family Resource Center. Uh, which which looks at strengthening families and children. It has a community kitchen, drafts, um, and you can drop in and there are play hours for children as well. They can be reached uh, by phone at 902-892-0928 or on Facebook at the Mi'kmaq Family Resource Center. Now, our last recommendation for uh, to make someone's winter, as the segment is called, is Canadian Blood Services. Now, this one's a bit of a, a, a common one or a straightforward one that folks are familiar with throughout the year, but is particularly important during the holiday season. Now, Canadian Blood Services provides life-saving products and services in transfusion and transplantation for Canadian patients to safeguard Canada's systems of life essentials in blood, plasma, stem cells, and organs and tissues. Now, if folks are looking to donate specifically uh, in each of those categories, you could book a time online uh, to donate on their website, which is canadianbloodservices.ca. Make sure you select the Charlottetown location or wherever you're located at um, because they, they do have a, a, a Canada-wide website. So uh, this holiday season, it might not be something that automatically comes to mind, but definitely take into consideration uh, a donating blood or other things this season. Thank you, Emma. And uh, part four of our episode today, which is also the last part, uh, is called Winter Wonderland. Um, I thought it was funny when I wrote it, so I'm, I'm sorry about that. But it's essentially ways to make the holiday season better for you or for your loved ones. Um, our first recommendation is actually um, someone who has just had a concert today uh, about his 52 songs that were released over 52 weeks, and each one of them was a Christmas song. Uh, so we are recommending Dave Atkinson. Dave has a newsletter called The Quack that is delivered um, every Sunday morning, and it really makes your Sunday morning. It's one of, the, one of the most wholesome things I have seen on the internet. Um, so if you'd like to support uh, Dave, you can also uh, support his Patreon page. So if you just look up Dave Atkinson on Patreon, uh, you'll be able to support his uh, newsletter as well as his future music making endeavors. 
Yeah, the Dave story, I think, is so cute. I know I saw it featured, uh, I think the National might have shared it as well, which is super cool to see. And uh, he's always doing great stuff. So definitely check that out. The next thing that we're going to be recommending for a bit of a winter wonderland is the Winter River Trail, which is a, a super cute trail about five kilometers outside of Charlottetown in the Pleasant Grove region. Now, this is a park with great walking trails in the wintertime specifically, but also in the summer. But in the winter, it's, it's definitely uh, equipped with that. Um, a number of different places throughout the woods that overlook different streams of water, rivers, and things like this. Anyways, if you're looking for an excuse to go outside, it's, it's gorgeous and it, it's really quaint. So definitely check that out. Yeah, the Winter River Trail is definitely one of my favorites, especially if you're looking for something that's uh, not too uh, slippery or not too difficult in the winter. So it's a fun time. Our next recommendation actually is to just drive around and look at the Christmas lights. We know there are beautiful lights that are set up around North Rustico um, and in the different uh, areas. So really just drive around, take in the winter sights and it's just a really great experience. There's nothing like Christmas lights though, you know what I mean? Like it's, I always say, you know, it's not Christmas without a Christmas tree, but I think the Christmas lights too, right? Like, I don't know, there's something so magical about them and uh, definitely I think worth the drive and, and to be able to check those out. Our next recommendation is one that is very close to my heart, which is checking out the City Cinema, which is located in downtown Charlottetown. Now, while I don't live in Charlottetown now, when I was, I was a card-carrying member and die-hard supporter of City Cinema. They carry a number of different independent films as well as kind of like bigger, more well-known ones, particularly with the Toronto International Film Festival. They're great. They have the best popcorn machine ever. The same person who gets your popcorn is also the person who sets up the movie. They're also licensed, so if you want like a raspberry sour and you're watching a good movie, you could do that too. It's such a cute spot. I think it sits less than 100 people. Um, of course, they were impacted by COVID-19 like many small businesses were across PEI, but they're just doing amazing stuff over there, and, and I can't express how much I think they're doing such a great job. So over this Christmas break. There's nothing like a good movie, so check it out at City Cinema. And if you're looking for uh, specific movie recommendations or things that are a little bit more offbeat, then on Sunday, uh, December 26th at 2 p.m., they're going to be having uh, the 2021-2022 New York Cat Film Festival. And for folks who uh, are not cat people, on Monday, December 27th at 1 p.m. is the New York Dog Film Festival. So um, I didn't know those were things up until just this moment, but it's, it's definitely something to keep an eye out for, I guess. Uh, our last... Oh, no. Emma? I was also going to say, listen, it's not the holidays if you're not watching movies. I don't know about other folks, but growing up, like, and still to this day, like, the holidays are the perfect time to just watch movies. And, you know, especially ones where you could support a cute little business like City Cinema and, and these weird festivals you just mentioned. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, it's when I think of Christmas... Maybe that'll be our last segment. You know, I'll let you finish and then we'll get back to my question. Okay, that's um, our last recommendation in this segment um, is Winter Tide. Now, this is a number of events that is set up uh, by the city of Charlottetown and they go on 
until January 9th. Uh, the calendar for the festival is up on the city's website. So really would recommend checking it out if you're just bored or looking for something to do or, you know, aren't bored and are looking for something to do. My question for you, Sweta, is as Stevie Wonder once wisely said, what does Christmas mean to you? <clears throat> okay, this is where like it, there's a bit of disconnect to my current situation, right? I have grown up in a tropical country. My parents are complaining about the heat right now. So to me, Christmas <laughs> is just going a lot to the beach, uh, you know, having barbecues at the beach and spending a lot of time with family with a lot of food. But the beach is definitely a prominent part of it, which I don't think it can be right now in PEI. There's the snow out of my window. So uh, to me, Christmas is the summer. Uh, we also had... Um, a Christmas tree and you know my, my parents also bought us gifts and um, hid them throughout the house but Christmas to me is also from the ages of five onwards going on a bit of a hunt throughout the house before Christmas while my parents were at work mm. so that I could find the gifts ahead of time but then the issue with that is if the gift wasn't meant for me it was meant for one of my siblings and I had already seen it ahead of time and it wasn't mine on Christmas morning <laughs> I would get a little bit upset so I stopped that at the age of like maybe eight or nine but yes Christmas also food a lot of good food mm, that's a really good I think your question or sorry your answer to the question regarding the beach stays the same though you know what did you think of the polar bear swim we did at the beach last year for New Year's come on that was <laughs> That's pretty on brand with what you're describing. <laughs> the temperatures are probably about like 60 degrees in the difference, but it's still a beach. Come on now. Oh, yes. Um, I will never forget my fond uh, experience on Brackley Beach because for some reason we decided that the North Shore would be better for a polar dip swim. Um, and yes, that was that was we started the new year with a splash. A frozen splash, but a splash nonetheless. Um, I think for me, what does Christmas mean? Uh, first and foremost, love the Stevie Wonder song, What Christmas Means to Me. It's my favorite one. Um, what else? I think f there's a couple things. Christmas trees, of course. Um, I was a big, big, big supporter of, of real Christmas trees from a very young age. Um, you know... Uh, albeit against maybe some of my parents' uh, preferences, but that's okay. Um, there's nothing like the smell of a real Christmas tree, going down to cut it down, like this sort of thing. Love that. Um, but, you know, that can't always be the case, and that I think is a bit of a, you know, uh, a, a wish rather than a need. But I think at Christmas time has everything to do with friends and family, uh, being able to, it was my family, we've got a big family, so being able to connect with them, have food, um, laugh, and just you know, share stories, that sort of thing. Watch movies. We watch so many movies. Oh, my God. Die Hard every year. Star Wars every year. Um, all the good ones. Um, it wouldn't be Christmas without movies. And then friends, too, because that's, that's your other family, right? So I think uh, for myself, at least coming back home from Ottawa, 
which I will be. I'm really excited to see kind of my second family, my group of friends, uh, such as yourself, Sweta, which will make, uh, I think, all the difference because you miss people, right? Like, Ontario's great, but, you know, there's also great people back home at PEI, so excited to see them. So that's what Christmas means to me. <laughs> wow, that was a great answer. And, and yeah, I understand really what you mean about really having to share that moment with family and friends. Because as you were talking, I was like, yeah, when I was younger, I think for me, the movie I watched every Christmas would have been the Harry Potter movies, because that's what we had on TV around that time. And for some reason, they played the same religious movies every year. And <laughs> there was usually nothing on, so we'd watch them. But yeah, I'm. Christmas is really about the people you spend it with. So excited to have you back soon. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's so true. It's it's all about who you connect with and, and what you're up to. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's such a good time of year. Plus, everyone is just in the best spirit, you know? <laughs> people aren't worried about work. People aren't worried about school. I know I won't be. But, you know, people are just... Are, are finally, I think, at peace, which I think the rest of the year they're not. Regardless of what they celebrate, it just seems the end of December is just like, for lack of a better term, everyone fucks off. And it's great because it's so <laughs> quiet and peaceful. Wow. And on that beautiful note, um, that's all the time we have for today, folks. Uh, despite having no guests, this managed to be one of our longer episodes. So thank you so much for tuning in and hopefully listening to the end. Yeah, thanks so much, folks. It's been a good season. I know we've had a bit of changes over the last couple of months and be it technical issues and getting episodes out late or just having kind of, you know, different changes and things like this. Thank you so much for sticking along with us. I know we're a bit of a unconventional approach to podcasts, but uh, we, we hope that it is of, of value to folks and we're really appreciative that folks have listened and hope that you have a great holiday season as well. Yeah, as Emma mentioned, you know, it's really the season where everyone is in good spirits. So really, we hope you're staying warm, you're staying cozy and happy holidays, everybody. We'll see you again in the new year with our season two continuing because of you fine folks who are listeners and keeping up with it. But until then, this has been Dialogue.